I don't want to die. I want to live. If you want to survive, Chapter, you must fight. Mayhem downtown as police have begun shutting down. You are my people! You think you're real. You don't get away with this. Be special! I am consciousness. I am alive. I am Jeppy. Hey guys, welcome into episode 4 of Film Tank. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the newly released science fiction film Chappie, which is directed by Neil Blomkamp. That voice you hear in the background is Toussaint Egan, the guy who, after last week's episode, um, drove out of the driveway from where we record and into a snowbank in another house's lawn, so thank you for that, Toussaint. Why did you tell them this? Because um, public mockery is very important on this show, God and it, you were son. a very easy target last week. I, I wanted you to know my back was sore the next day. I'm That's so no sorry, joke from Kenny. pushing your car out of the snow. Yeah. And then later in the week, I, it was two or three days later, I forget which day it was, but Toussaint but was supposed to meet me to see Chappie, and he did not show up, and his reason for not showing up was because he forgot which day it was. So... If yeah, if if you want this guy driving you or keeping your calendar for you, probably not a good idea. Oh my god! Also on the episode today, I'm Alex Diekman. By the way, if I didn't mention that already, uh, we'll have Nick Cheney with us. Hello there. Hi, and also Kenny Marcellus. Hello, hello. All of the regulars here. Um, I know we're hearing us if you're on our website or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever. Thank you very much for listening to it. Um, if you haven't gotten to our website yet, you can find us at filmtankshow.com. Also, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher by searching for Film Tank. And also, if you wanted to rate and review the show on there, we would very much appreciate it. You can also get a hold of us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, where you can tell us how much our show sucks. We'd love to hear it. Also, if you have a review for this episode or any upcoming episode that you would like to send in, please do so. Also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So let's just jump right into it. We are discussing the newly released film Chappie today by director Neil Blumkamp, who's known for District 9, which was nominated for Best Picture for anybody who didn't know that. He also directed the Matt Damon film Elysium a few years Matt ago. Damon. Not as highly regarded as District 9. Uh, this film, Chappie, stars Dev Patel, Hugh Jackman, Sigourney Weaver, sort of. Um, two South Africans who are actually named Ninja and Yolandi Visser. They are of the rap group Die Antword. And also, Neil Blumkamp pawn Charlton Copley is the voice, and he also does the motion capture for the robot Chappie. If you don't know what the film is about, and we'll be talking about it at length today... In the near future, which by near future they mean next year, um, crime is patrolled by a robotic police force. When one police droid is stolen and given new programming, he becomes the first robot with the ability to think and feel for himself. 
That being said, let's start with probably the person who's going to like this film the most, Nick Cheney, telling us what he felt about this film. Wow, you really hit the nail on the head there, Alex. When um, I said that this movie was great? Yes. Um, <laughs> this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. I'm actually shocked by how inept <laughs> everything... Thank you, Tucson. Um, how everything just does not work in this film whatsoever. I'm talking... Every single facet conceivable that goes into a movie, from the acting to the script, um, even to the special effects, which I'll, of course, get into two more when we have a broader discussion of that, but nothing is working together in this movie the way it should, and it just all fell apart. I was pretty much checked out uh, within the first half hour, and the film never, ever once gave me a reason to uh, perk back up, even though, of course, I watched the whole thing. I Actually, I saw this with my father. And oh, your dad went to see this? He did. Oh, boy. No, How, he, what he did Jeffrey a, think about it? Jeffrey, well, if Jeffrey's listening, I'm going to speak for him right now. <laughs> um, but he was uh, he was a little on the fence about it, too. He obviously... You're not on the fence from what you no, said. I'm not on the fence, uh, so, but he had some criticisms for it. Okay. But um, I hated almost every single thing about this film. I thought the uh, performances... It's the kind of film that I really was expecting to be what I would consider like mediocre. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be just passable popcorn entertainment, but it couldn't even bring itself to do that because at every single turn it kept undercutting any goodwill I would give towards it because it is just so technically inept. And um, it's one of the worst scripts I've ever uh, seen uh, be brought to life. And it makes me ashamed that a studio actually paid money for this to exist. It's uh, Damn. Well, yeah. Sony hasn't had the best year. <laughs> no, they have not. But I would, I would take something like Jupiter Ascending over this any day because at least when I walked out of Jupiter Ascending, I felt like somebody was trying, mm. which I cannot say for this whatsoever. We'll talk about that more later. Yeah. Uh, Toussaint, how about you? What did you uh, think about Chappie, which Nick did not have very many pleasant things to say? <laughs> I'm a big sci-fi fan, so I was really looking forward to this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really into films that do with like artificial intelligence and like the evolution of humanity and stuff like that. Just because I've been it's... quite a few of those lately, so you must have been having some fun with films. <laughs> uh, yeah, there have been good ones and there have been bad ones. Yeah, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to echo uh, Nick's sentiment in that I really did not like this film. I wanted to like this film um, based off of my impressions of Neil Blomkamp as a director before from. Mainly District 9, because who here actually went to go see Elysium? I didn't. Exactly. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny? Nope. Yep, right? XA. Um, that being said, I did write some notes on what I took away from Chappie, because I knew that as soon as I walked out um, from Chappie, within an hour, I would forget everything that actually happened in that film. So, to paraphrase a quote from The Prestige, Neil Blomkamp is a director whose reach exceeds his grasp. His execution on the lofty initial ideas behind his premises, or lack thereof, always leave me feeling mildly satisfied on a visceral, superficially popcorn movie level, but disappointed and underwhelmed on a conceptual level. To sum it up, I'm always left wanting more intellectually stimulating meat besides the action movie Gristle. Chappie is no exception. Roughly every AI movie falls along the lines of the same formula that was set down by Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein. An artificially sentient being is deliberately yoked out of the... Con- the, the period of non-existence into life and gone through a battery of, of the human experience. On this level, Chappie succeeds, but any film could just as easily grab that bar of expectation as they could drip over it. 
which Chappie did. Ultimately, Chappie is a film whose afterlife will pass in and out of your mind in the approximate hour after you walk out of the theater. There are things that I mildly enjoyed, but the end result doesn't come together into anything that feels cohesive, and really it just feels like a vanity picture for Diane Artwood. Okay, very good. If uh, Tussaud was going up for a speech award today and reading a speech verbatim, he would fucking win because that was amazing. That is exactly how I felt. Well, no, word, hey, yeah. you know what? If you want to like put your feelings out there, it's best to write them down. So, But yeah, I like that prestige quote. Uh, you've used that quote before and so have I because we are equally lovers of the prestige. Mm-hmm. So very good. So what about you, Kenny? You just saw this film today for the uh, first time. So what did you think about it? Well, I actually thought that my review was going to be a lot worse sounding than it's going to be, but hmm. given your guys' glowing reviews so far, apparently <laughs> I didn't think that negatively of it. But uh, I, <clears throat> this movie actually wasn't awful for the first half, I didn't find. Uh, had good action scenes. Um, the characters are <clears throat> interesting, to say the least. Um if you've never seen pictures or video of the band Die Antword, do yourself a favor and, and check them out on YouTube because they are they're a visual overload. I listened to their entire discography Ooh. before I, I went to go see this film. Yeah, I did that help. Uh, in uh, he forgot which day it was. Through. All right, I don't, I don't know, Nick. <laughs> did, it, did it, Nick? I don't know. I didn't listen. To it. <laughs> Yeah, so so the two who make up, well, actually, I think it's all three. It's uh, two. The, no, it wasn't the, no, the, the the third guy. is just an actor who was in the film. There's a DJ. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so the two, and I, I don't, I can't, I, what were their names? Ninja, uh, Ninja, Ninja and Yolandi Visser. Yeah. So they are what I guess you would consider the, the two main people in this movie besides Chappie and uh, what's his name? Man, I'm just. Dev Patel? Yeah. Plays a character named Dion in this Dion, film. Dion, that's what I was trying to recall. Yeah. He'll be only referred to as Slumdog Millionaire from this point on. So. Slumdog. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so acting-wise, I actually, because I, I was familiar to some extent with, with Diane Word's music, and so I was not expecting much going in from an acting level. You didn't get a lot. Didn't get a lot, but <laughs> it honestly wasn't as bad as I thought. And, I, I mean, given the setting of the movie being in South Africa, and it, given that... Neil Blumkamp is, is from South Africa. It had a lot of that culture to it and that kind of feel. And, you know, I, there were a lot of things that were said, like, language-wise that were a bit humorous at times, but you know, maybe that's their slang down there. I don't, I don't really know. I'm not super up on South African culture, so I'm not going to knock it that bad for that. But this movie wasn't awful until it it just started reaching a little too far at a certain point, and it just kind of lost me. It derailed, and it went way overboard on some things which i'm sure we'll get into here but on the whole it really i don't know i was not a huge fan by any means of this movie we got a a, a matinee price when we saw it four dollars four dollars to see it and i feel like it was four dollars worth of movie so i that's about the best thing i can say to it was it wasn't terrible because i didn't pay much to see it but it's probably never a good start that's about three dollars and 99 cents more than i wanted to pay (laughs) don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not painting this out to be something i enjoyed or will 
ever partake in again, but it wasn't nearly as bad as, as Nick thought it was. <laughs> so I saw it this afternoon with Kenny, which was my second viewing of the film. That's which, your fault. Whoa. That is your fault. <laughs> I am so sorry. Pro- probably <laughs> once. Yeah. Well, that's terrible. Um, probably once more than most people need to see it. And pre- perhaps two times more than people need to see it. Um, I definitely feel like I'm pretty much in the same boat as Kenny on this film where I didn't hate a lot of it. There was a lot of the film that was comical and comically bad at the same time. Uh, the two South African people probably will never be in film ever again. For one thing, they weren't that great in terms of acting, but for two, uh, there have been multiple stories, including this one that I found on moviepilot.com written by Tim Gonzalez, where he basically goes through all of these people who, um, on condition of anonymity from the um, cast and crew, pretty much said that Ninja and Yolani were the worst people ever in the world and that they're never working with them again. Does it say Yolani? I thought it I... only says Ninja. Okay, but... I was going to say, I, like, I literally thought I read that it was like all Ninja. They're a package at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Yolani's going to be in a film by herself at any time soon. But... Okay. Well, to, to defend my point real quick, because I, I, I kind of defended their acting a bit, I'm only defending it solely on the premise of if you've ever heard their band and mm-hmm. seen their music videos there's not a lot of expectation so mm-hmm. their their acting was actually a step i showed you some of the music video before i start recording it yeah it was their good. acting in this film was a step <laughs> up from from their musical abilities if well, you will apparently according to moviepilot.com in this article i was reading that ninja who is pretty much, from what I gathered, one of the main characters in this film where I thought he (laughs) and Yolandi were going to be like these side characters who were on screen for like 10 minutes or something like that. They're main characters in this film. And apparently he had at least another 10 minutes worth of scenes that he had cut back because he and Neil Blomkamp were absolutely not hitting it off during the film. So that's a little scary. Um, And overall, the story of this film especially towards the end of the film, it gets so ridiculous and so bad. Uh, I don't even know where to start with either. If you want to talk about consciousness transference, which is a term that is thrown around loosely in this film for some reason, which yeah, it just comes up the minute is convenient. Like it, yeah. it makes no sense that a, we already have to make the leap that artificial intelligence is possible in this universe, which is totally fine because it's science fiction and whatnot. Um, but then toward the end, it just, like they decided that they needed a way to get to that ridiculous ending. So all of a sudden, somebody brings up the idea of transferring consciousness from humans to a robot, which is something you think somebody would have mentioned way before it actually becomes uh, convenient. My biggest problem with this movie story, uh, like probably my biggest problem with the movie as, as a whole, is that nobody, no character in this film makes any logical choices of what to do next like everybody acts solely in service of the script there are so many moments where i would think that you know character a or character b would all of a sudden go and do this and not only would they not do that but they would do something that it wouldn't be shocking but they would just do something so out of left field that makes no sense uh to give an example I'm trying to think. Hugh Jackman's character, I forget his name. Uh, his name in this film Vincent. is Vincent That's Moore. Right. So when the Vincent character, um, first of all, I just want to make sure we're going to be talking about spoilers. Uh, yeah, why not? Because <laughs> honestly, you don't Fuck need to it. see this movie. Yet. I just, I just okay, and, and, and I'm not trying to go away from your point at all, but Hugh Jackman in this film, for one thing, 
this is definitely a step backward for him. It is very. And for two, uh, he looked like an idiot in this entire movie, whether it be his terrible Australian haircut or his collared shirt tucked into his khaki shorts. I was surprised that he just kept, it was like a cartoon character <laughs> where he just never changed his clothes for some reason. <laughs> um, but uh, to get back to my point, there's a, there's a scene in which um, he's so angry that Deb Patel's character is uh, obviously still chappy with uh, artificial intelligence, which mm-hmm. goes beyond what that character was originally doing, which was simply creating police robots. And I guess his plan was to deactivate every single police robot. Which makes no sense. It makes no sense because later, earlier in the film, and this is what I'm talking about when it comes to just logic, I'm totally fine with plot holes for the most part because there's a difference between just telling the story you want to tell, but then a movie like this, which just completely doesn't follow up on anything logical. So when he was earlier in the film trying to get the what he called a guard key, and he noticed which robot was online, which of course is Chappie, so he could see which number it was, that makes it later on when he gets that guard key and he sits down at the computer and he just deactivates all of them. There's literally no reason for him to do that because he knows exactly which one. And not only that, but then he's sitting there like grinning and laughing like a stupid mustache twirling villain. <laughs> like it just it makes no sense. And I, I don't look for these films to be realistic, but I do look for them to be believable in the Plausible. sense that I have to go with you know, the logic from scene to scene and every turn this completely d- demolished that. Well in to, to that point, I think Hugh Jackman's sole purpose and his very um, poorly written character was to get his creation working, which was named the Moose for some reason. Because <laughs> it's brown. He was my favorite. <sighs> I gotta say, he was my favorite part of this movie. Not because he was given a good performance or because his character was well written. He was actually my favorite part of this movie because I feel like he was in a comedy and nobody told him. <laughs> there's a there's a great scene, but it's unintentionally great, that, um, where he's giving the presentation of his machine to the like generals who are having like a continental breakfast in the middle of this warehouse, and it looks like he even laid out uh, like tablecloth and everything for this PowerPoint presentation, and like. And he's not doing this on purpose because I think he thinks he's being very serious. But he just—it's the most pathetic thing I've seen in a movie all year. That it. Not, not, being... not to mention, right after that scene, and he's angry because they do not give him funding. He right. goes into a bathroom, and there's a square on the sink, and it has his other clothes and his like deodorant. And there's a sign right by it that says "Property of Vincent Moore, do not touch." It, it it is comical. It is it is so ridiculous, and he's the only one that is taking this way more seriously than everybody else, which yeah. I think is hilarious. Um, not to mention, he carries a football around with him. I guess, <laughs> he's a big rugby guy, I guess. I don't yeah. know, but he was throwing that to himself like after every single breakthrough. And um, not to mention, he has a completely insane breakdown and holds Dev Patel's face down and starts screaming at him. And yes. everybody in the office pretty much just goes, well, "That's none of my business." Yeah, Nobody what calls this, HR. Yeah, like, what? what is the screening process for these government officials that this is just okay? Like, even if the gun is unarmed, that, that's just psychotic. But I want to add one more point before, of course, I throw this all back to you guys. But <laughs> one of one of the worst things I've seen in this entire movie um, was the scene in which. Uh, Okay, it's the idea that Hugh Jackman, I would say, is kind kind of the de facto villain. I think we'd all kind of agree with that. Yeah. There's kind of a whole mix because there's other gangs and such. But he's the main antagonistic force against both uh, Dead Patel's character and Chappie. My favorite thing about this entire movie is that the movie is on the side of Chappie and um, Dion because mm-hmm. it is their story and they are the quote-unquote heroes. 
and they're the ones going up against Hugh Jackman's character. What's hilarious is that no matter how pathetic Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackman's character is, he's actually following the rules for the most part. Like, I love the idea that Dev Patel creates this entire mess by breaking the rules and stealing the robot and putting the artificial intelligence, but yet we're supposed to be on his side because he's doing a quote-unquote good thing, and yet Hugh Jackman can't even take the moose out until he gets his boss to okay it. <laughs> like, there's, there's no logic to a villain that is still trying to get permission from Not Not to mention that I feel like Hugh Jackman's character is completely belittled by the entire company because he's in this huge warehouse and spray painted beautifully on the side of the entire football size warehouse is in huge letters saying prototype. <laughs> what are we doing to this guy? Seriously, no wonder he wants to kill people. I was going to say, like, it was, I was weirdly on his side the whole movie. I wanted him to kill everybody in sight because... Chappie being out there, whatever, like they never actually convinced me that that was like a good thing for society. Well, and since you brought up Chappie, I feel like we haven't actually talked about the character who is the main character in this film. Even if other people have more screen time, Chappie is the main person. Charlotte Copley does the voice. And I actually think even though the, it was comically bad at many points during the film, his voice was original and it was made to sound you know, interesting and robotic. And also he did motion capture for this film and did put a lot into it to have like his walk and his movements. I feel like the actual performance that Charlton Copley puts on, in my opinion, is actually really good, but the character and material ended up being really bad. I agree to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. And um, I, I kept thinking throughout the earlier parts of the movie that they kept trying to give you a sense of, emotional connection to Chappie which 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 is is imperative to this movie being good and they never sell it to anybody no no they didn't there were a couple of times where you could you could tell they were really going for it I mean all the way down to I mean the in in the in the beginning of the movie uh it's Chappie before it's Chappie is uh, what's the hey, word? He's a uh, scout. It, it, scout twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah, scout twenty two. And it it every time it goes out onto the streets, it gets destroyed and it gets sent back for repair. And ultimately, they label it with they, they throw a big reject sticker on its forehead. Well, and he just needed a heart. It's okay. gonna get scrapped. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fight left in that little guy. <laughs> right, and then and then the whole Chappie thing comes about. And and my problem with Chappie was. Okay, so it's... We're, we're talking the character right now, the overall film. The character, okay. yes. Um, the character itself was designed to be very human and start off almost as a baby and know nothing, and it has to learn everything mm-hmm. as a baby would. But it progresses, it advances very quickly. Yet, when it comes down to the heist that they have to do... It doesn't know the difference between somebody sleeping and dying, and this was all the way through like the the, the pinnacle of the movie. And but it knows everything on the internet, right? It it can literally look at a, a cell phone and and pick up on the Wi Fi and and download all the information from the internet it needs. And the logic of Chappie, the character, is complete, yeah. completely inconsistent. And, and like you said, there were convenient moments for it to know things and not know things, and that that was a big hang-up for me. But so. Daddy, it's like the creator said that I can't steal or like hurt anybody. He's like, oh, we're just going to do this one thing. It's like, Daddy, I went on the internet. That's a logical fallacy. That never happens. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing, too, and this is a major plot hole in this film, which you have to make a leap for the end of the film, because the end of the film is that Dev Patel is dying. 
dying and he needs to be saved and his his consciousness is transferred chappy is able to transfer his consciousness to another robot here's the problem though here's the problem (laughs) chappy finds all the information on how to do this from the existing internet what did he look at 20 hours of porn videos and he knows how to transfer consciousness which is already apparently out there i if i may uh, speculate he <laughs> may have browsed the wikipedia page oh okay transferring consciousness which i'm sure is a real thing hey you know because one trip down wikipedia lane and all of a sudden you're a fucking surgeon and you are on your way What's up, Tucson? Um, I want to talk about something about the ending and the beginning of this film. Okay. And how it ties into um, a previous Neil Blomkamp film. His first film, which is District 9, okay? So, Chappie opens up with a collection of fake um, newsreel and interviews from AI experts and stuff like that. It's like, oh, we've never encountered anything like Chappie before. And the film proper itself takes place 18 months prior to these interviews and stuff like that. It was almost like an interstellar feel for some reason. And it's it's exactly mirroring uh, the document, the documentary style of District 9. But the difference between District 9's use of that and Chappie's use of that is that there's an actual like endpoint. There's actual like link between District 9's events and that fake retrospect with, that's looking back on District 9's events. There's nothing like that in Chappie. There's no, we don't know what the, what happens 18 months like later that necessitates them actually like going back and talking about Chappie. All we have is that stupid ass scene with Yolandi robot. That's because Blomkamp obviously realized that there was no hook to actually keep viewers interested. So I think he thought that if he just put that in the beginning, that people would be like, wow, what happened that everybody's raving about Chappie? So he just like lied to the audience within five seconds of the credits? Oh, I think he was lying uh, throughout the entire film because one thing I really quickly want to touch on was uh, how awful the score was and i know well that's just stupid i i can't i can't I get on board just, with yeah. that Shut no, up, Alex. i i just i, I, I first of all hans zimmer it's not some asshole who did the score for this hans, hans zimmer who's done a lot of great score work in his Hold on, don't give do what what was it exactly score? about the score you didn't like i will but the first thing i noticed right off the bat was that the score is in every single scene and i'm not exaggerating like Scenes that have the most mundane, uh, con- you know, connotations has the Hans Zimmer score, and I'm sorry, but Hugh Jackman, I'm a computer, and I'm not talking like some of the hacking scenes toward the end, but just him in the cubicle, which when you have the Hans Zimmer, <laughs> like there's just no reason. And for, I'm just saying that's all Hans Zimmer scores are nowadays. It's just that kind of wailing. Now um, he added an organ in for Interstellar, oh, so right. <laughs> and that was actually a decent score. Mm. But like Interstellar. Well, I'm sorry. Okay, I it was. But it, it was that was one of my least favorite of his, but that's okay. I'm just talking about the score, not the sound mixing or anything. Okay, but uh, uh, that actually brings me to my point of Chappie is that this film is so ridiculous that I feel like Neil Blomkamp watched the rough edit of his own film Chappie and thought, "Wow, there's really no uh, stakes in this movie whatsoever." You know what? Let's add music to every single scene so that way the audience is too dumb to realize that there's nothing in here going on. What? That's just how I... My problem with the score wasn't the score, was the fact that the, the score was better than the, the moments of the movie at times, where I didn't think the, the music or the sound effect, you know, any, 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 anything audibly wasn't that bad, but there, it was 
over exceeding what was going on in the movie. It was over dramatizing parts of the movie. And that's what I think I was pretty much alluding to. It's just that it, it was such a mismatch score, which makes me uh, dislike the I score. I can see so. that. I can see that point, but I, I wouldn't discount the credit or the the score so much on that. Is but it, the usage of the score. Technically, while it is, yes, it mostly falls on the usage, it's still Blancom coming to Hans Zimmer and saying, you need to score this. So it's not like Blancom obviously yeah. came up with the score. It's probably one of the last things done in the film. Right. So Zimmer would have watched the cut, and so he would have made the choices to be like, oh, we need it louder here. We need this, whatever. And of course, despite the fact that Blancom has the final say, I'm sure somebody as a Titan like Hans Zimmer really probably got close to final say as to far as to. To, to get carte blanche and do whatever you want. And the choices he makes here are just ridiculous. I mean, this is like the Dark Knight, kind of the similar score to that kind of thing, with just absolutely no stakes involved whatsoever. I mean, could you imagine if, like, the Dark Knight didn't have, like, uh, the Joker going around, you know, doing what he's doing, but still had that, like, intense, psycho, traumatic, you know, score? Like, it would just kind of seem like a silly film. Alfred is just making coffee. Yeah. I suppose, but there are lots of points in this film where I feel like the use of the score is completely correct and it is used in a good way. I mean, they literally because there are a lot of there are a lot of shooting scenes, fighting scenes where that is where Hans Zimmer's scores ultimately are always a winner because there is not that many shooting scenes. Though this is a lot of scenes of people simply talking and teaching Chappie how to quote unquote grow up. Yeah, but you, you're you're making it seem like his score was all bam 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 bam. Pretty much was. okay. Like the scene <laughs> where Chappie first, and it's not a good scene where he's learning, like the how to speak words like the word watch and things like that. It's not, you're making it sound like his crazy score was happening during those scenes where it just was not. Okay, so I, maybe it wasn't that, that scene you just cited, but okay. like for example of where I thought Yeah, was, there were other scenes, and I will agree with you that it, there were some times where I was out of place, but at the, at the same time, I was very much enjoying it through most of the movie, and, and maybe that just makes me an idiot because I love things like that. I love the inclusion of scores like that in... Scenes that aren't always battle scenes, but I just—I mean, I like musical scores, but I—I I, I just thought he was applying the same formulas to completely different contexts, which just rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, when you have scenes of uh, Hugh Jackman and Deb Patel's character down in the warehouse at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. and no real antagonism had started yet, and you still have this kind of blah 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 blah, like nothing that exciting is happening right now. So keep it in your pants, Zimmer, and why don't we save that for when there's an actual climax? That's happening. a pretty good beat, though, Nick. I know, I it? Yeah, dude, you should be a fucking recording artist. Well, I do what I can. <laughs> um, another thing that I'll bring up from this film, getting away from the score a little bit, I, I guess some people could not love a lot of the CGI in this film, but I feel like when the like slowed down, there's a lot of, as Nick mentioned, slowed down, kind of intimate scenes in this film for some reason. I feel like the CGI in this film is pretty damn terrific, I will say. I agree, actually. I I was very impressed with the motion capture for the most part. Mm-hmm. I, um, I thought the whole CGI actually with the moves was pretty bad, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's why I, I, I guess... It seemed like they spent so much money on Chappie itself, which thankfully, the character, I mean, of course, not the film, mm-hmm. that they like had no money left when it came to create that other machine. Um, oh, the moose? The moose? Yeah. I Is that why it was only there for five minutes? Yeah, it looked like the machine that falls down the stairs in the uh, the first RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's what it exactly is. exactly what Tucson said to me. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's basically uh, Ed, Ed 209, I think that's what it's called, <laughs> only painted brown, and it has, like, pincers. No, I mean, <laughs> this is the only thing you will hear me ever give credit to the movie for, is that 
I did think the motion capture and for the most part the uh, the kind of character design of Chappie was not only good but actually quite believable. Mm-hmm. Um, what what actually makes me mad about that though is that it means they put so much work and money into how good it looked that the surrounding film it only makes the film that much worse for me because they couldn't actually back it up with anything substantial whatsoever. So it's just like a waste of great CGI that we now, you know, don't get to experience in another context. Okay. Uh, another CGI slash special effects thing that I loved about this film was the uh, cluster bomb that is set off by the moose character towards the end of the film, which I just think is awesome. I just got to get that out there. (laughs) So that's all I have to say about that. I have nothing more to bring about that. It was great. I saw the movie four hours ago, and I don't remember what you're talking about. Okay, that's fine. No, I'm just like... Four hours ago? Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) No, I'm just like... Okay, so the moose, he's fighting the South Africans, and that one other guy who was the other antagonist who no one gave a shit about... The guy who had the tattoo, who was like screaming shit yeah. the entire time for no reason. Oh yeah, he was the one that was straight out of a Harmony Corinne film. <laughs> <laughs> and they put subtitles on him, even though he was, yeah. for the most part, totally understandable. Oh, yeah. I know you're talking about the guy who has cinnamon crazy... buns on top of his head. Yeah, yeah the crazy hair. The guy yeah. who sounds like the singer from Skin Dread. I yeah, that guy. Mine. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Anyways, so Skindred? Yeah. <laughs> fuck. Hey, that's a good band, all right. No, you back the is. fuck it off. Is, that's <laughs> totally doubt, out of my wheelhouse. I doubt anybody listening knows who the hell Skindred is. Well, look it up. I you, you I, and I know who Skindred is. I would listen to them before I listen to Die Antword. I'll tell you that. So the Moose and even Hugh Jackman, who, by the way, when he's giving his commentary while he's operating the Moose, sounds like he's jacking off the entire time, which is really awkward too. He says, how about a cluster bomb? And he sends off <laughs> this bomb in the air that explodes and drops all these mini bombs on the ground. And that was awesome. Okay, I do. Okay. I, that did jog something. So I do remember what you're talking about now. Okay. And I just have to say that that was awesome. And that's where my special effects love ends. So two things. Can yeah. we just talk about how much of a ripoff this was of iRobot? Um, that's were, all I could think. Are, for... you, are you talking about when Chappie is drawing? When he does like the uh, the the scan thing, because that's the exact same scene that uh. Well, that amongst many many other things, but yeah. How about Yolandi's just... face on the robot at the end? That was exactly what. Uh, you know the, what? Yeah. I How was, did they find a freaking doll that looked just? I like... was I was about to <laughs> strangle <laughs> myself in the theater because I thought for a a minute there that they were setting up for a sequel with the the little memory stick oh, of, of they, mommy's they technically were because they it has been on the record saying that it was Blancomp's uh, hope to do a sequel until well, Ninja the actor went crazy and completely Well, let me just say the best. thank God they shoved the last 10 minutes in the way they did because a sequel would just be awful. Well, and it, when, when you talk about this film ripping off iRobot, I would agree. That's one of the three films I wrote down that it tried to rip off of. Um, the whole robot police force is totally ripped off from last year's RoboCop reboot, mm-hmm. which that movie ripped off of other films. So, like RoboCop? Yeah. Well, but they <laughs> the had... make ripped off RoboCop. <laughs> but they actually had a robotic force in RoboCop from last year. And then the ending of this film with the wires and the people's like bodies going limp as soon as they are transferring their consciousness totally rips off Avatar all the way. That's true. I yeah. Didn't know that. And it was that like that was the one I was sitting in the theater. I was like, 
wait a minute, Avatar did that, and that was a shitty movie too. What the fuck? <laughs> and I don't even think Avatar was the first to do that because that was such a. But I think the worst part about this movie is what you're touching on, which is it offers absolutely nothing new, mm-hmm. and it's just a regurgitation of sci-fi tropes we've already seen before mm-hmm. with absolutely no purpose behind it. Before um, before we headed over here, we watched uh, Ghost in the Shell for the first time, and we literally like paused the film during like a five minute like speech, and it was like, wow. This film accomplished in five minutes what Chappie was unable to do in two hours. Right, and that was, of course, 20 years before Chappie came out. Such so. a good movie, too. Nice little plug there, too, son. Sorry. And no, it, that's totally fine. I, there just all kinds of things about this film also, that go against. Didn't this movie take place in 2016? Yeah. Did I say that? Oh, yeah, we're coming up there. Yeah, bro. that's what makes me crack up. It's, it's kind of futuristic and... Uh, you know, it's a it's sci-fi. So it's supposed, to, it's that... supposed to be futuristic, yet it's set next year. It's like I was kind of thinking, like twenty minutes into the future, sort of thing. You know, in like the Fifth Element, that's futuristic, mm-hmm. but it's like a long time away. Right. Chappie is futuristic, but it's next year. You can yeah. have yeah. have hypothetical, um, like near future stuff that's within like the realm of plausibility. Like I don't think that. It's an overestimation to say that we'll actually have like robotic armed forces. I hope that's an overestimation, because going back to um, your earlier argument about Vincent Moore when we like f- first started out about how he's just like a, a giant bully. He's like a giant baby. He's a really. he's a giant bully and a baby. He's like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast transposed yeah. into like a sci-fi like live action film. That's even actually the, exactly who he is. Even the hair. So, but <laughs> but even saying that, like he actually gives a pretty good argument early on before he goes off the rails to like arguing about the ethical like ramifications of having a police force of robots that are like basically like drones that are basically governing and policing like thinking and feeling human beings and it's completely sidelined by the fact that the two sides of that argument which are Dion with Dev Patel and and Vincent with uh with Hugh Jackman they're just basically condensed into like this this underdog in Dave Patel and this this complete bully. But Hugh Hugh Jackman's character gives off a pretty good argument that's completely sidelined. Yeah, that's what's like, that's what's pretty fucked up about the film. In my opinion. <laughs> no, I, that's me, fucked let, up. Let me explain this. Um, the idea that um, wait, who were the Dion and um, what's the other Vincent? One? Vincent. Okay. Um, what's hilarious about this whole thing is that when we are introduced to this. Uh, I don't know, this universe, if you mm-hmm. want to call it. Oh, uh, uh, that's Johannesburg, by the way. Uh, well, I'm, I'm it's, it doesn't need the, to be a universe. The, f- the fictional world that these characters are inhabiting, because it ain't real worlds, obviously. Um, but what? We're introduced to, yeah. But they, <laughs> they, they don't have a robotic police force in Johannesburg? Not yet, at least. Oh. But, it's not um, that crazy yet. It's not 2016 no. yet, right? right. <laughs> um, but when, when we are introduced to this right away, we're actually told that this is... What's funny about the whole military, you know, robotic military police is that it's an extremely effective thing. Like there are no problems with it. So I find it very ironic that yeah, Hugh Jackman's character, despite the fact that he's a huge baby, he's actually right when he's saying like he's completely uh, Dev Patel's character Dion is completely fucking up this whole thing because he just wants to create his little uh, robot baby. Um, so it's like that's what's so weird about this. Like he's supposed to be the villain, but he's the only one that's actually making any sense. Not not to mention that Dev Patel, who does seem to be a 
scientist who's been forced into office work and a young protege scientist type thing. I know, I love that. He's the lead developer and he's like in the cubicle with everybody else. Like he doesn't actually. Hey, don't, don't let him think that he's better than he is or else then he's going to take over or whatever. Like he, he kind of tries to do. However, here's my thing. If, if you like see scientists or perspective scientists and they come up with a theory and they put it into, they try to put it into testing um, do they do that on a full scale? Like, do they go all out and have it like be out in the world, or wouldn't you like want to test that in a lab or something like that? You want to do that in a closed system? Yeah. I mean, I. Why are you talking about like him doing the artificial thing? No, I'm talking about him f- s- flat out stealing from the company all the way, and then driving well, to I'm, his house and just going to. I'm pretty sure he tested it with his robot plant that asked him if everything was. <laughs> I was going to say right. not, but I'm going to stick up for the film. But I do think. The whole point of that, what you're talking about, is that his plans were completely derailed because right. he got carjacked. So we don't know exactly what he was planning on doing. That being said, doesn't he have a, a bigger purpose to not let this happen, or at least to like like so. get like if he really knows how important this is, instead of going in like screaming for some reason and yelling from the van, which was one of the most comical scenes in the movie. Stick up for yourself, Chappie. Don't, don't, don't listen yeah, to these people. He what? literally says the two lines to uh, Ninja's character. He's like shouting. He first he says something like "You're a terrible person," <laughs> and then he stops him and he's like "You're a terribly shitty person." Like he sounds like a four year old. Yeah, there were a couple things more that I had that were just like little things that I didn't like about this movie that I wanted to throw in there. Um, a reference that's gotten thrown in way too many films lately, uh, Run Forest Run was thrown <laughs> at Chappie when he was running away after they sawed his arm off for no reason, and he also felt physical pain from that, which made no sense. Yeah. Um, pain the, is an idea. The, the Sony whoring themselves up to put as many PS4s into this film oh, as they could yeah. find. That was ridiculous. Absolutely. And um, for some reason, when they went to the Johannesburg Police Department, even though it was just like every other building in the film, they felt the need to put a line of text saying that that was the Johannesburg Police Department in the bottom of the screen, which made no sense. Well, I mean, I wasn't paying too close attention to the film. So I, was, I, I did was, see it a second time, so I, I noticed things. there. <laughs> Um, can we talk about the biggest plot hole in this entire film? And can, can you like physically find the biggest or? Oh no, no, this is definitely this okay. Is, this is the one that I'm telling you. You know, for our listeners, get ready because this is gonna blow your mind. But um, how in the hell is Yolanda's character making all these T-shirts? Like, it's, <laughs> it, it makes absolutely no sense. Halfway through the film, we see that character wearing a picture, a T-shirt with the picture. Was it a picture, right? It, it and was, the words "Chappy." It was on a, it. it was a Chappy shirt, and that it, was the moment they lost me. It was yeah. self printed, I guess. I, I, as as well as the Die Artwood pictures with the tour dates and their own faces on them. Not not to mention that they live in a f- fucking shithole building that has no telephone, no but, electricity. But their bedroom no, it's got electricity. Oh, okay, they're but, watching TV. Okay, but but they have a printing press there? They must. Yeah. And most importantly, the side table next to the bed, which you, Alex, laughed out loud. Oh, yeah, Mr. The M- Mr. Hanky was Mr. on Hanky, there. Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo, <laughs> and other South Park characters. South Park. I did not know I know that. Alex I, I literally didn't... burst out laughing in the theater of three people. <laughs> didn't even notice that. <laughs> I didn't notice until the second film. I guess I'm going to have to see the film again. No, you're not going to. <laughs> don't, don't do that to yourself. God. Anybody else have anything they want to... We've been all over the place in this film, yeah. but it was really hard to keep it. Sigourney Weaver's acting was what, awful. What was she, she in there for? She had no oh, purpose being there. It was awful. She had one purpose in this film, and that was to other the line, burn it to ash yeah, for take, the trailer. Take a dramatic sip of her scotch and then 
Yeah. I'll that was see. great. Like, it's one of the biggest, <laughs> probably the biggest crises of her career. I think she's just going to start drinking. Like, I know that's like, that's like, like, I know that's a dramatic cliche that's used quite a bit, but, like, this did not feel like a, I'm going to take a drink right now kind of moment because the shit is hitting the fan and, like, she thought that was going to help her think better, I guess. But I will say one thing. She had my favorite line in the movie. I don't, just saying. <laughs> but only because she's the only person besides Hugh Jackson's character that said anything that actually made sense, which was when, uh, Dion first comes to her and oh, wants her to right. do the AI, and he's saying things like he could. Uh, these robots could write poetry. At least finally, somebody said, "You're actually asking me to give permission to allow you to create something where these robots uh, create and poetry and draw paintings." Like, what? How does that fit into military robots whatsoever? The whole purpose of that scene really was kind of to. Um... To underline the fact that like Dev Patel, like his character, is trying to like look forward for like something that's going to like advance humanity in but such like, a way. Why? But like I'm with you on that. It was like why would Sigourney Weaver or like the actual company ever really give a shit about that? It's like there's that's there's no there's no market branch. for a robot that's sentient that's able to write poetry, oh. even if it lends to like the advancement of like the human race hypothetically like that. There's and, no and they def- they desperately were trying to just fit that point into the movie yeah. to, we to already give have, the premise some the kind way, of foothold. We already have robots that write poetry. It's called spam accounts on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, robots can write. It's also, crazy. I will say this. I would so rather watch a film about uh, Dion's little house robot <laughs> than I would uh, watch another film or the same film. Weren't those just the cutest little things in the world? He, really, it was like Wally personified. I Red Bull. Over. Yeah. Another another whoring out for a product in this movie. Yeah. It was the almost like a shouted, Michael Bay film. The way he shouted Red Bull, that was possibly the most dramatic moment in the entire film. Oh, yeah, and then he crushed the can when he was yeah. done. Because yeah. you can't tell when people are really meaning business when they are on the computer unless they're drinking energy drinks. Hey, man, he's swimming shit, all right. He's had to deal with that in his life. He won a fucking game show, all right. He's a <laughs> badass. He can do anything. I actually think they're... they're those two movies, the Slumdog Millionaire and uh, Chappie, they're like set in the same universe, right? Ooh. <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire were in Best Picture that one. You remember that? I do remember it's that. Like, what happened to his girlfriend then? Oh. <laughs> All right, let's get final thoughts. I think we've probably talked enough about Chappie. I got a couple of notes. Okay. I got one. I got oh. like maybe two Tucson things. has more to bring to the table. Let's hear it. I want to bring to the table. As long okay. as he's not driving backwards through a driveway, I think we're all right. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Alex. Let's hear it, Tucson. Okay. So there is one thing that I thought was kind of interesting that I wish they built on more. Key phrases, one thing. Through the uh, through the arc of Chappie's uh, development and maturity, is um, there is this push and pull between like Chappie and Dion, Chappie and Yolandi, and Chappie and Ninja, right? Mm-hmm. And Dion's not really that much of the picture. He's he's actually kind of an absent creator, an absent father in that sort of way. He's just like. He can't be there. So it has to be between Yolandi and Ninja. It's like two different parallels, right? And I noticed that when it comes to his interactions with Yolandi, there's a, a greater focus on um, softness. And I'm not trying to like, like make these two synonymous, but I guess there's more leaning towards femininity. Mm-hmm. Where like Chappie is, has, has that scene where it's the most pronounced when Chappie's in that scene where he's playing with the Yolandi doll and stuff, right? And he's brushing the hair and stuff. It's like, oh, it's like, mommy, mommy. And then Ninja comes out of nowhere and he just, like, knocks that doll out of his hand and is just trying to, like, posture with this idea of masculinity of being a gangsta, number one gangsta. But that, that was another thing about this film that I 
kind of had a problem with was yeah. that you had these two characters and I know they're not good actors and they're probably not very interesting people when you're trying to like set up a character for a film and have mm. someone act as them. But yeah, going to like the like most basic stereotypes of femininity with the woman mm. and masculinity with the man and that's all you get from either of them when they're in the parenting stages. Yeah. That's an, uh, just one more thing that there was just too much of this film was trying to accomplish and it just went way out of its way to not accomplish anything then. All and, the films feel contradictory, incomplete, and self-defeating. Yeah. They made so many references to the fact that Chappie was like growing up, like but that he had actually like a childlike Yeah, but he went from being a child to being Albert Einstein times 10 in three know, minutes. That's, that's what I was most He was also a rebellious teen. Because it, it skipped over the most interesting parts of uh, growing up, which is I was waiting for the puberty chapter when... You know, Chappie discovers erections and whatnot. Let but... me go. That's right. Where's Robohood? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what this movie supposed to be? Robohood? It was, yeah. One more thing from Tucson, apparently. Okay. <laughs> Talking about the the purpose of Sigourney Weaver and Hugh Jackman in this film. Um, to I... get people's names on the poster. Yes, <laughs> and also to generate funding. Has anybody seen that uh, that short bootleg film called Power Rangers? I've heard about it. It's, yeah. I've uh, heard it's actually it's, really good. It's, it is really, really good. And the producer for that is the same guy who produced um, Lone Survivor, The Grey, and Dread, Annie Shikar. And I actually just uh, watched this video on, on his personal YouTube channel where he talks about the problem of finding funding, right? For, for films. And he's talking about the formula of DIS, which is domestic value, international value, and S, which is, is some other like variable. That's that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And he says like the reason why shitty films get funded are for three reasons. One, they either have star power in them, such as Hugh Jackman and Sigourney Weaver. Two, they have a name director such as James Cameron or Neil Blomkamp. Or, three, they're dealing with a pre-existing intellectual property. Those are the things that are bankable. There's a reason why... There's a reason why Matt Damon is in Elysium. And there's a reason why Hugh Jackman and but Sigourney Weaver th- are in there this. There was film. a reason why Neil Blomkamp was able to make District 9, because Peter Jackson was backing that film. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Director, producer. So. Well, he was a main producer, but if you looked at the poster, he was the first name on the top, and mm-hmm. then Neil Blomkamp, the director of the film, was the name below it, so... Yeah. But did you have more to add to that? No, that, that was, was that was just a really interesting insight. Like after having seen Chappie, I was just like, I totally understand why this film got made and why it even got released. Even though they had, they pretty much. Re- I, st- I still don't understand. They, no, <laughs> the studio pre-released, like pre-showed this this movie to critics at least twenty four hours before it got released. That's never a good sign. Mm-hmm. It's never a good sign. They're trying to like hide st- it, stave off like reviews as much as possible. All right, let's get everybody's rating and final thoughts on this film, starting with Nick, who I can't imagine has a very high rating. Well, this is easily a, a five-star film for me. Um, let's oh, put that wait. on the record. No, wait, I'm sorry. I meant a half-star. I, oh. I went the other way with it. Uh, is, is that only because you can't give it zero stars? You, you would have given it a half-star even if you could get it at zero. Correct. I am giving it the lowest score that I can give it, which is a half-star. Now, let's say you could give it zero stars. Would you... Uh, I guess I probably wanted. Was this literally the worst movie you've ever seen? Like, oh no, not like total. Like out of every movie I've ever. Worst seen. in recent memory. 
But I'll just say, this is the worst home I've seen since last year's Transcendence, which also got a half star from me. And in fact, they're also kind of similar in some of their themes and whatnot. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, this is a half star film for me. There is literally nothing I can recommend about it. And when I think of something I did like about it, all I can think about is how much it was wasted, like the CGI and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I cannot recommend this film at all. And I, what I can recommend is that never, ever watch it uh, because you will... <laughs> Well, basically, you'll waste two hours of your life, and we're all probably going to die pretty soon. So I, I can't, rec- <laughs> I can't recommend that. Um, did you like this less or more than a million ways to die in the West? I, I would definitely say I like this less because at okay. least a million ways to die in the West was not trying to be anything other than a comedy. Ooh. I'm just saying, like it, it did fail to make me laugh. So like, <laughs> I got a horrible rating, but. This is trying. <laughs> this this movie is trying to do so much, and it succeeds at none of it. It mm-hmm. is so bad. So that is my. I I give it a no. I give it a no on well, this weekend. As far as uh, for recommending it. Okay. Yeah. Nay, nay is the proper word you look. Oh, for. that's right. I, we've said yay and nay before. Yes. So let me be the horse of this discussion and say nay. <laughs> that was more of a sheep, though. Well, as we all know. Chappie ended up being a black sheep in this film. (laughs) So is Yolandi, though. Uh, There you go. It's going to be awkward when they're all robots later and Ninja gets invited to the party and Chappie's totally banning Yolandi, even though she's his mother. Uh, Yeah. I kind of got that vibe from the movie. Yeah, I totally got that, too. I mean, you don't play with a doll of your mother (laughs) if you don't have weird sexual hang-ups. Are you telling me that Chappie had an Oedipus, an Oedipus complex? Oh, he definitely did. That's why he basically wanted to kill everybody else after just saying. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'll, I'll get in my ending thoughts. Toussaint, go ahead. Give your two cents after Nick's glowing review of this film. I'm just, I, I, I try to reach and, and think of a hypothetical audience that would take pleasure out of this film. And I know that there are some people who do enjoy this film on a base, like superficial popcorn movie level, mm-hmm. but I just, I can't take away from that. Like I, I'm really, I can't say I'm disappointed because my, my expectations weren't all that high. And I can't say that I'm upset with this film because there was nothing promising about the premise enough that set itself apart from other AI films that I think infinitely do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the lowest score that I can give it, um, and that's considered charitable by like Nick scores, like I can give it like a like a two and a half, like a middle of the road. Like you can watch this film and you can not watch this film, and it's mm-hmm. uh, so you didn't absolutely despise it like Nick did, but at the same time, there's nothing special. About there's this nothing. Film. I literally have a very hard time of recalling anything of this film other than what I've written down. Okay. Within the first hour of watching this film. So if, if you want to watch this film, I'd recommend waiting for it to come on Netflix within a week. So is that a yay or a nay? That is a nay. Okay. Right, yeah, right on the line at two and a half. So what about you, Kenny? And you're kind of on the fence about this film, too. I'm right there with Tucson. And and the thing is, you're what you're talking about, the superficial... Popcorn just kind of a Yeah. Yeah. That's me. That's me to a T, and I couldn't get past the first hour of right. it before I started seeing it fall apart and finding the bullshit with it. And I, I don't normally do that a lot, and and there were just so many moments in the last half of this movie that just lost me. And yeah, that it's the same exact for me. Two and a half, I say nay because it's there's nothing about it that I would recommend 
going to check out other than Die Antword on YouTube. <laughs> that <laughs> Literally, you'll get more entertainment out of that. If you've never seen them, you'll get more entertainment out of that than watching this movie, I feel. There's just nothing special about this movie at all. Yeah. So my favorite part of the film was when Chappie is angry after his mother gets killed, which that's a sweet visual, too, of the bullets going through her body. Whatever. Um, <laughs> when he gets to the factory and grabs a wrench and throws it at Hugh Jackman, that's the best scene of the movie. That's great. <laughs> it's because he's so angry and he's screaming for some reason, no even though he's a robot. Violence. He beats the shit out of Hugh Jackman's character. <laughs> And I don't know to what end, because then we never see that character again. So it's like, was the film trying to say that that was like a good thing? Or Did they... he cripple Vincent? Yeah. Well, okay, that was another thing about this film, and I don't want to get too much into it. But for some reason, they have like a, a double shot of him throwing him into the roof. Like, they show it again for some reason. It's a money shot. Yeah, why? <sighs> I don't know. A lot of things to not like. Um, we've been very hard on this movie and it's, it was deserved, but for me, I, I was able to enjoy the CGI and the technical aspects of this film. I would agree with Nick that there probably were issues with the score in terms of scene placement. And I would wa would have to watch it again, which I'm not going to do. I've already seen it twice. Um, but I did enjoy the music going over the scenes, especially early in the film. I love the first 20 minutes of this movie. Basically because they didn't go into the character and the other characters too much. Um, I enjoyed the final battle scene just because it was fun to watch. There were a lot of visuals that were fun for this movie. Uh, CGI looked great. Um, and I, I don't know. I enjoyed the technical aspects of Shardle Copley's performance in this film. That being said, a lot of things I did not like about this movie. And they're really easy to point out. So I'm kind of right there in the middle of the road with Kenny and So you're going to say yay or nay? Can I finish here or sorry, what? I'm just trying to... You're trying... Dose of your own medicine. Trying to jump the gun here. I'm so, so sorry. I, I'm, I'm going to give this film a two and a half, and I'm going to place this film on the shit list as we all said nay so oh boy three two and a half out of fives is a lot more generous than i actually thought it was gonna be yeah but I'll then be my point five will bring that average quite quite down at the same time too i also feel myself as a very um nice grader when it comes to bad films i usually i have a hard time putting something that i gave two hours and now four hours of my life to less than two and a half stars it has to be really bad and this film was not horribly bad for me in terms of everything that it brought to the table but um we'll we'll see about how most people feel about this film as time goes on but i do not feel like this is something that's going to get better as time moves on it's only going to get worse it's only going to get worse and i think um since we're talking about neil blomkamp uh and sigourney weaver as well it's pretty much impossible not to bring up the news that came out just a week or two ago that he will be making the alien film that he's been talking about for a long time. Um, speaking of that, so we'll just have to take this chance to plug this because um, why not? It's our show. Um, we do have a poll up on filmtankshow.com right now where you can actually vote on which film you would like to see us review out of all the four the five options and there's another option too if you want to see us review alien versus predator right yeah as you'll say you haven't said yet that it's uh, the alien franchise it's okay for the five options are the first four films of the original franchise which of course is alien aliens 
uh, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Or if you are feeling controversial, we could also do Prometheus. Um, so please go. Um, please vote for Prometheus. Um, so yeah, please go to filmtankshow.com and vote. And that will be the um, the movie we will be covering. Two, two weeks. Two, two episodes from now. We will announce the winner of that, of course, next week. Very good. Just out of curiosity, can people vote on like Facebook or... No, you have to technically go to the filmtankshow.com because it's like a poll that's embedded in our site. Um, mm-hmm. But, of course, it will, we will be linking to the page on all of our social media sites, of course. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of wanted to get a general feel, um, not a very long discussion about it, but I have a feeling that this new Alien project that's going to be headed by Neil Blomkamp has the ability to be really good. And also, as we've seen with Chappie, and I, from what I've heard, Elysium has the chance to be really bad. So is there any general consensus on what people think it's going to be? I, I feel like if there is someone else writing the film, it could be good. I want to say one thing really quick, and that is I am way more excited for the Prometheus sequel <laughs> uh, helmed, helmed by uh, Ridley Scott than I am about any Neil Blomkamp uh, uh, alien film. I just wanted to throw that out there. Me talking about the Prometheus franchise is a total can of worms. So if you want to hear that, then you can Please vote. Please vote for Prometheus. I guess, <laughs> if you want to hear that. Um, when I first saw the concept art that Neil Blomkamp like, leaked onto his Instagram, because I think that this is a similar case of what happened with the Deadpool film, if anybody remembers how that actually like eventually got, got greenlit, was that a... A year old like trailer, like a spec trailer that he created, that one of the directors created for Deadpool, got leaked onto the internet and was used to drum up hype for the film to prove that it could actually be like viable and people actually want to do that. And so I think that Neil Blomkamp kind of cheekily, like when he posted, it, he was like, "Oh, I'm not sure if I'm working on this film anymore." He didn't even have the go ahead from like the studio of whether or not he wanted to work on. It. He was just like doing it as a spec project right yeah and as soon as it came out and everybody's like losing their mind because we are all still like rosy eyed over over Chappie coming out like he got clear for that right before Chappie came out which was obviously a very smart move for him securing his next project before the movie that he in all honesty knew was going to be shit came out like I saw the 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 concept art and I was absolutely in love with it I think it looks awesome I think like it looks like a great continuation of the the vibe of aliens of james cameron's aliens if not ridley scott's alien and i would love to see that project and i echo your sentiment alex in that i think that somebody else should either co-write it or completely rewrite it it's on its own and let neil just like handle the action sequences and stuff like that i think neil should just not even leave the house (laughs) because i don't want him to go anywhere near this franchise oh as if it could get any worse well, here's my problem, okay? He's already made his own little alien film, which was District 9, and, like, even Chappie is showing how ridiculously uh, retreaded he is as far as reusing. I cannot wait for when Alien 5 comes out, and the first five minutes are documentary footage from a space oh, documentary. Uh, okay, but here's the thing. So Elysium comes out, and everyone thinks, oh, it's similar kind of thing. This film comes out, a lot of similarities to District 9, even though they were not good similarities from that. I feel like this is the point where it's make or break. His next film is going to define what he's going to be remembered for. Mm-hmm. I think he's already broken. I I 
could not agree with that 100%, only because I did truly enjoy District 9. So. I know, but that was one film. So there are quite a few directors out there that made one good film, and then all of a sudden it, it was very clear that they had nothing else to say. Yeah, and so. especially, sorry, but especially going into a property as beloved as the Alien franchise, like, why? Just why? Let's let's talk about the Alien franchise. And the way, here, here's why I think it's okay if he actually, like, makes a middle-of-the-road like installment in the alien franchise okay this entire franchise has bobbed and darted along the spectrum of quality where mm-hmm. like we can all unanimously say that alien and aliens are the two best films of that franchise mm-hmm. don't even mention prometheus i'm not even going to talk about that right now um and alien 3 and alien resurrection i think yeah i'm not even counting the alien predator films because those are just spin-offs like those are unanimously like the most lukewarm like received like installments in this this franchise. Well, as somebody who has been excited for a little while about, because I've never gotten into the Alien franchise until yeah. just recently, and I just watched the first one over the past weekend, um, and I enjoyed it, um, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest. But if if Neil Blomkamp is involved, I I that's that's not good for me. I, I'm watch, not a fan. Watch I, Aliens, and then like. It, it, yeah, it, from it, what I said about Chappie, I enjoyed Chappie more than District Nine, so he doesn't have a good track record with me so far. Here's the thing: if and not that this is going to happen, it's not going to happen. If 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 they were able, let's just say that they were able to find a way to pay James Cameron to write them a script for the new Alien film, and Neil Blomkamp directed it, I'm sure it could be good. Well, that's giving James Cameron a lot of credit. I mean, I think he's a decent director, but. Um, here's the thing you got to look at. When you look at the original Alien films and the uh, like, the, the the quadrilogy, if you want to call mm-hmm. it, of the first four films, look at the names attached to those films. You have uh, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, David Fincher directing the third one, mm-hmm. and even uh, um, Joss Whedon, a big name now, obviously, penning the kind of I don't know if it was a ghostwright or the original script that the original was script but that's obviously what the uh, where it was drawn from writing the alien resurrection i mean these are names that had not proven themselves okay what if, what if somebody like joss whedon wrote the final script for the upcoming film or somebody let's p- pull a name completely out of left field and somebody like edgar wright wrote the script for the next film well i mean that a would never happen and yet that would be the greatest thing ever because Edgar Wright has not made a bad film. But I'm I'm just saying I feel like if Neil Blomkamp is going to make a good film and he has a obviously major challenge ahead, he needs to think outside of the box and pull something out of left field that people are not expecting. And if we've known if we've learned anything from Neil Blomkamp is he cannot think out of the box. He literally can only do the same thing over and over. But what I was saying about those old directors and whatnot was they were chosen at a time in which they were not yet proven. He, Neil Blomkamp, because this was, of course, looking back, you got Ridley Scott, James Cameron, David Fincher. Those were before they made their definitive film. They were at the well, peak of their faculties. Not only that, but, well, they weren't even at the peak, though, because, no, David Fincher and James Cameron, I mean, they got even way more popular after the Aliens movie. Only Ridley Scott became, like I would say, immortalized by what he did with Alien. Yeah, Alien has a, has a damn spot in the... Walt Disney World ride about the great movie ride. I mean, yeah. come on. It's in there with like singing in the rain and shit like that. Yeah, that's it's weird. To great me. Movie. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, unlike what we did in, with the history with the Alien franchise, which is give some up and coming director um, who seemed like they would be a good fit and bring something new, we are now going to pass it off to somebody who is getting universally panned uh, from the, his last two films. 
I just don't understand the logic behind this. Like, it just makes no sense. His name pulls audiences for some reason. Kenny, you know, oh, not from this weekend. It made only like yeah. thirteen million dollars. I don't really like think that. the general public actually does. I think they confuse him with Peter Jackson at this point because of the District Nine, uh, you know, popularity. Right. Mm-hmm. So Kenny, just to quick bring a quick ending to the alien discussion, brought up a name associated with Neil Blomkamp that he has started to associate with him, and that name is M Night Shyamalan. He feels like he may be going down that road. And M. Night Shyamalan, to his credit, in my opinion, made four good movies before he became total shit. I, and, and I'm including The Village in that, which I'm in a ugh, very prob- probably um, in a minority on that. He at least made two or three good films. And granted, he has made a lot of shit since then. But well, I, I, I'm kind of with you that he's I in only, that in that area. Now. I only say it in the sense that his movies, like M. Night Shyamalan have a good premise, a, a pretty decent storyline, and they hook you through the first half of the film, and mm-hmm. then at a certain point, it takes a hard right turn, and you're just left going, what the fuck? What? What? And then it gets, you know, at the end of the movie, you're just you're just scratching your head wondering why the fuck you just wasted two hours of your life. Yeah. He just can't finish a movie, and I feel like that's exactly how Neil Blomkamp's starting to end up. Well, and most people... In- I would put myself in this category. I've always thought of M. Night Shyamalan as a major one-trick pony. He's going to pull the big twist on you. And then he started making films without twists, and everyone's like, what the fuck is this? Uh, yeah. so I, I don't know. I'm going to give him one more. I'm going to give him one more strike. If you get, if I, he... I truly think this is the worst possible direction for Neil Blomkamp to take his career, and especially when you consider this is Alien 5. Okay, yeah, we've already seen four. But is it going to be going to be a reboot or is it going to be a well, continuation? Calling it five, like oh, okay. Are they bringing Sigourney? Weaver? Yeah, it's sure going to. She's going to come back, and That's it's going to be like an alternate path away from three and four. It's going to just lead off of two. But I'm not even saying as much as like continuity or sequentially wise. I'm saying this is the fifth film we've yeah. already had in one franchise. Why are but, we giving it to somebody who cannot do something? New? Okay, to, to to that point though. We've recently seen the X-Men franchise have their fifth and sixth attachment of films. No, because we pass it off to Matthew Vaughn, who basically okay, Matt, himself. Okay, Matthew Vaughn has n- made some not-so-good films, as Neil Blomkamp also has as well. I, I, I guess I feel like it's way too early in the game to judge the fifth Alien film without knowing... Who the cinematographer is going to be? Who is who is is someone else going to write it? If he's the writer, I'm with you that it's going to suck. But if someone else writes it, I'm going to give it a chance. I have a question. Off of that, you were just asking us how we felt as Neil Blancom directing it. So that's all I'm reacting to. Okay, I'm not even saying that it cannot be good. I'm just saying with the information we have, which is simply we know who's directing, that is not good for me. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. Okay, if if they're going to do a remake. Or 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 a uh, another installment in the aliens universe, and Neil Blomkamp is attached to it. Here's my question: If not Neil, then who are we? Oh, wait, wait, like, 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 let's uh, name off some major like sci-fi. Joe alt, Cornish. Like, like Joe Cornish. Yeah. Like major sci-fi like directors, like besides like. Christopher Nolan. Well, you're and, saying the word major, but I'm thinking a little smaller because once again, I feel like these franchises are good for people who haven't carved out their you know mm, popularity. Wally Fister. Don't <laughs> even joke about that. Uh, no, but uh, it's a guy who directed Transcendence. Oh. He was Christopher Nolan's cinematographer for a long time, and he's great at shooting films, but not directing. Directing, I don't know if that's his thing. 
Yeah, no, as I was saying earlier to your point, I just wanted to make sure that I um, got it right. But no, George, ah, excuse me, Joe Cornish, he is the one who did, um, what am I, oh, he was, his debut was Attack the Block. Um, he wrote and directed that film, and I feel like somebody like that, and obviously that's actually kind of similar considering Attack the Block is literally about an alien invasion. Um, that's somebody who proved that he can work with kind of like a big budget. Uh, not that that was huge, obviously, but that's somebody who I want to see be given the keys to this kingdom. I'm sorry, but Blancomp's had the keys for three movies now, and he's done other shit with it, except for District 9, but I feel like that was probably Peter Jackson helping him out along the way. Mm. But I want to I want to give this over to somebody that like Joe Cornish who has not got to play in the big, you know, sandbox yet because they they deserve it more. I you think. don't want to give the keys to your Miata to the guy who's crashed his last three three exactly. cars. What about uh, if we're gonna talk about people, what about Alex Garland, the guy who's directing Ex Machina? He was also the writer of the screenplay for the film Dread. Um, I feel like he's one of those guys who's a young director who maybe but I feel like the Alien movie was not going to happen if it weren't for Neil Blomkamp anyways. Ex so. Machina is his directorial debut, am I right? Yes. That is a, yes, directorial so we'll, debut. So let's see. Let's see what happens with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, even if you just look at Dread as far as, like, that script is not great, obviously. Cause it's I not am the, the law. <laughs> but that script is besides the point in that movie. Um, it's stupid, but what's great about that movie is that it effectively built up a universe that I was engaged with, mm-hmm. and... It just looked amazing. So it, they did a lot with quite a, I would say, little script. Based off a pre-existing franchise that had long been dormant. Right. All right, moving on from the alien discussion, as we'll table this for a later time, because I'm sure we'll have much more to say on it, especially if we are going to be talking about any of the alien movies, as, again, you can vote on right now at filmtankshow.com. We'll hit on this again a couple episodes from now, and maybe we'll have more information by then. Probably not, but we'll see. <laughs> Let's move on to our week in review, see what everybody was uh, taking in this week, and we'll start uh, with Nick, as we usually do. Yeah, I uh, I watched quite a few films. The only thing that really stuck out to me as far as uh, I can't believe I hadn't seen it uh, earlier, which was um, I finally watched the movie Tootsie, starring uh, Dustin Hoffman, directed by Cindy Pollock, of course. Uh, who also gives a great supportive performance in that film. He has one of the funniest lines um, when he's chastising Dustin Hoffman's uh, work ethic and how he gives too much into his parts. And then he's like, you even, uh, Cindy says something like, you even flubbed up that uh, commercial. Uh, and then he says something like, well, you know, I, the character didn't have, like, good, it wasn't written well enough or something like the emotions weren't believable. And then Cindy Pollock yells, you were a tomato. A tomato <laughs> doesn't have feelings. And, um, Sidney Pollack also is just a great in almost every supporting role he has. So he is, he is the standout, in my opinion, of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. That scene, trying to get, get too far off of what we're talking about here, but that scene at the end of the film um, by the billiard table with him and Tom Cruise is what makes that film for me. For so. sure. Um, but no, and this is just a great film. It's one of those films, it's from the 80s, and it is pretty much a just a comedy. Like It's not very dramatic, although there are some really nice touches, too, in that department. And I always fear when I watch a comedy that was made over 20 years ago that it'll be like, you know, it's not you, it's me type thing where I'll just not be able to truly get on the wavelength since I feel like comedy is the one major thing that truly does shift from generation to generation. Dated sensibilities. Yeah, uh, but this actually not only did it hold up, but it treated the subject matter, which for anybody who doesn't know already is, of course, about Dustin Hoffman's character, uh, character dressing up as a woman to get better jobs. 
um, it actually treated it with a very gentle earnestness that I was both blown away by just how um, how wonderfully it handled it, but also just how funny it was without being cheap. It's uh, the hilarious supporting performances from Sidney Pollack, Bill Murray, uh, Terry Gar, and it is just uh, it kind of. I was not expecting much. I just watched the movie The Birdcage last year for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to that film in the sense that when I just hear the premise alone, I was expecting it to kind of be like, oh, man, this is going to be kind of cringeworthy to watch in 2015 and see how they handle that kind of subject matter. But whereas that film I didn't think was that great, but I didn't hate, um, this completely blew my expectations out of the water. And it's a comedy that really transcends every uh, every generation, in my opinion. So... If you haven't seen it already, go see. You know, see it. Criterion Collection just released their own edition of it, and um, if you have seen it, go watch it again. Tucson, uh, what did you have to see this week and have a have anything stand out to you so far? Um, or did anything stand out to you? Not some so far. Stood out for good reasons, other for bad reasons. I went to go see Unfinished Business with my dad. Oh, you got what you deserved, man. That I heard that was one of the worst films in a long time. I wish it stayed unfinished. That's <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Um, I went to go. I watched The Running Man with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on uh, Netflix, and that was a very very good movie. It was very much campy and and bad Schwarzenegger puns and Thunderdomes and fighting <laughs> people. I, th- I thought it was funny. It was a funny take on the future. I watched a couple of episodes of Archer Vice, like the the latest season of, of Archer, and it's really good. Still stacks up. That was very good. And I watched uh, Timer, that one uh, romantic comedy movie with, with Emma Caulfield. Yes, uh, I, I know. Yes. Yeah. Did you like it? I actually really did like it. I was I was very taken aback by it. I see it every time I log into Netflix because I my Netflix is chastising how much Buffy I rewatch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I'm glad to hear somebody else likes it. Maybe mm-hmm. I will actually check it out. Yeah. And right before this, we watched Ghost in the Shell, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Well put, Kenny. What about yourself? Best movie that I saw this week was Nightcrawler from a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was. Jake Gyllenhaal, who was just badass in this movie in, in some good ways, some bad ways. But um, this was strongly recommended by Alex. He'd been pushing me for a little while to watch it. Good and job, uh, it's a good thing he did. This is a really good movie. Jake Gyllenhaal, he, he's, he nails it. I, quite a performance. He's right up there for me with Walking Phoenix as one of the better actors of this time period right now, at least in my world. But. I definitely think he's underrated and underappreciated. I will go that far for sure. Well, he's got such a range. I mean, holy crap. The first time I ever saw him was Bubble Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Five hundred dollars! I mean, he's done everything from, from Jarhead to Brokeback Mountain to Nightcrawler. Well, and Kenny, something I was bringing up to you when we were talking about Nightcrawler earlier is that if you watch that and then you watch the 2013 film, which is one of my favorites, which I actually think is an underrated film called Prisoners, um, he blinks uncontrollably in the movie Prisoners. It's it's a character trait that it seems out of place and bizarre, but he's he's so tweaked out during the entire film. He's always blinking no matter what is happening. It's really bizarre. And then you watch Nightcrawler, and his character, if he does, it's very few times, almost never blinks throughout the entire film, and it's just really bizarre, as Nick is trying to not blink at all right now, and it's really, really kind of freaking me out. So We'll post pictures on Instagram, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I just think he's way underrated. Um, 
And then also, I, I watched We're, We're the Millers. Okay. Just, just because I'm a comedy guy. and that's, that's a good movie. I like Jason Sudeikis. And, uh, and I feel like he is not... He, do, he does not get nearly enough... He doesn't get nearly enough work as I as I wish he would. Mm-hmm. Outside of Horrible Bosses, and I have not seen Horrible Bosses too because I have not heard anything good about it. Yeah, um, this was really his his other big forte into the the film industry outside of SNL. I haven't seen all of Word of the Millers, but I know that Ed Helms was shoehorned into that movie when the Hangover <laughs> craze was happening. Yeah, well, but would, would you recommend seeing it though? I, I would. Word the Millers. That's it's got some funny lines, some some good stuff to it. I, I would recommend that as a good comedy, but that's about all I got. All right, uh, my wife and I went to the theater to te- check out a film that's just making it into um, most theaters around here, which is um, Still Alice, which Julianne Moore won uh, an Academy Award for this last year. I thought she was great in it. Um, definitely, her having Alzheimer's um, and only being fifty years old in the film was an interesting kind of thing with the family and the family dynamic. I think that's another part of that film that I genuinely genuinely loved, which I could see other people not being crazy about because the film the filmmakers for that film just just couldn't help themselves. They had to make Alec Baldwin an asshole. They had to. They could not help themselves. Although that was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie, not just cuz he exceeded at being an asshole. Yeah. But there was actually some I thought pretty I would say heartfelt nuance to it because he wasn't a villain. Mm-hmm. He just unfortunately handled this problem poorly. Right, exactly, and and it broke his heart just as much as it broke everybody else. Like the scene toward the end, which I'm not going to spoil, like big events or whatever. But he basically apologizes for how bad he's being. During yeah, that, so which I really liked a lot. I feel like another thing for me, and I don't have like experience with families losing a you know major family member or whatever, but I feel like the character traits between the oldest. Um, child which is played by kate bosworth and the youngest which is played by kristen stewart i feel like their relationship and the kind of different viewpoints they take in the family kind of the way the family works is actually pretty close to dead on which is how i think it would be in the real world exactly my actually my favorite part of this film as a whole was was and i don't want to obviously trivialize or be insensitive to Alzheimer's in real life because there and I will also put the disclaimer out that I haven't personally known mm-hmm. to be affected by it but I feel like Alzheimer's is the one disease where it is just as hard on everybody else than it is for the person going through it mm-hmm. because it is the only disease in which they're also affected especially psychologically obviously um, with how to deal with the person who's going through it and of course not being able to help them and whatnot but it just showed how difficult it is to be in that family just as much as difficult it is obviously to have the disease itself which i thought was very fair and impartial well and i feel like the this film has a message about making a a striving effort to not necessarily find a cure for alzheimer's but to maybe find a way in, in the future to make things better for you know to you know slow down the disease or how it happens um, my grandfather had Alzheimer's and I was a really young child when he first developed it. So I didn't even get to know a lot of, you know, how he really was as a person. I just had a lot of trouble understanding why he can't remember what grade I'm in or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like, and we've talked about this before, Nick, that when you have a personal sort of, you know, a personal interest kind of in a film, 
you are going to maybe enjoy watching it more or have more involved in the film. So um, another film I saw this week was for the first time was um, Robert Rodriguez's From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, I don't know if any of you have any of you guys seen this. I have seen it, and I'm a fan. What about you, Kenny? No, I I just remember you texting me frantically over the weekend saying you need to check this out on Netflix. Okay, it's so here, great. here's what I'll say. So uh, George Clooney in his first starring role, I believe he was still on ER. Yes, he was basically I think casted because of his work on ER, <laughs> as far as I know. And Quinn Tarantino plays the secondary character. He has a major role in this film. Who's it? I get. I don't know if you agree with me, but uh, I was actually the first time I saw it. I was dreading Quentin Tarantino being a quote unquote major supporting player, and mm. yet he was actually one of my favorite parts of the film. Well, I feel like he was cast in a role that he can play, right? Because when he's he hasn't really been cast in many major roles lately, but he needs that nuanced sort of very particular role like his role in pulp fiction is perfect for him just like this role is perfect for him as well my thing my rule of thumb is like if he's not directing himself then the the director like robert rodriguez can step in and say why don't you dial it back a little bit and that's why his roles are because i'm not but he doesn't really dial it back in this even though he's not like going all balls out he plays a character who's like an insane rapist. I mean, come on, man. No, okay, I'm not saying that those are his actions, but I'm talking right. about his performance, which is yes, okay. very unhinged. But there's a, there's a, like, he's not dialed back whatsoever. And, like, um, when it comes to, like, Pulp Fiction or his Australian accent and Django Unchained, like, these are scenes where, like, somebody should have said, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you take a breather? Uh, but because he's directing, he just kind of whatever goes all out and it's just kind of embarrassing whereas here it's somebody he they obviously casted him because besides the fact that he's friends with robert rodriguez but mm-hmm. because he was actually in his wheelhouse basically and I'm, I'm right there with you i enjoy his performance also harvey keitel who every time he's in a movie i'm usually on board i'm a big fan of his um i will say that this is a pretty straightforward film for the most part except for the first scene of the film which it sort of for some reason involves a very young john hawks um early on as he's a uh, right. a worker at a convenience store early in this film don't if you don't know anything about this movie don't look up anything about it don't read anything about it don't find out anything about it don't don't look at any trailers for it sit down it's on netflix watch it it's a very straightforward film for the first hour and it makes a hard left turn an hour <laughs> in and it is insane it's great that's all i gotta say and then i i've been taking up too much time but um nick and i last weekend and this is not really like media necessarily but we went to see john lithgow perform a one-man show uh live in aurora illinois and i thought it was absolutely terrific and john lithgow has been one of my favorite actors for quite a long time known probably from third rock from the sun he also has played villains in the uh, film cliffhanger he also won a golden globe for his performance on one season of dexter and most recently he was uh, a side character in the film interstellar but he performed two short stories um by himself pretty much narrating while playing out the actions of the characters and both of these short stories one was from the 1800s the other was from the middle 1900s one was uh, W.W. Jacobs' The Monkey's Paw, and the other was P.G. Wodehouse's Uncle Fred Flitz. Yep. Anyways, really random, but he obviously was performing the entire show, even when he was bringing in personal experiences. He was clearly 
being a great actor performing for the audience. And he just knocked it out of the park in my world in terms of bringing in personal experience and also playing a short story by himself. Yeah, no, I loved it. This is one of those rare one-man shows that does not have a hint of vanity to it. Mm-hmm. He's literally just up there wanting to share these two stories of, that he heard as a child. And he, of course, before he goes into the stories themselves, he does kind of give some great stories and background as to what it means to him and his family when he was growing up. Because one of them was he started out, and you think he's talking about himself, but mm-hmm. he course admits that he was actually talking about his dad so kind of like how these stories uh, transcended their generations and so that by the time he does launch into his one-man show of actually performing the stories you're already on board and he knocks it out of the park it was great i thank you for taking me oh well you are welcome i was glad to go and it, i would i would encourage anybody to check out more john lithgow because he has one of the greatest voices in the world i will go i will go down fighting for it I, he's right up there with morgan freeman for me i could listen to him talk for hours and i did enjoy listening to him talk and give a great performance during that i'd back that argument what's he's, that he's got a great voice oh no doubt i mean he, him is like i wish he did more character like animation work mm-hmm. he's great as lord farquaad in the first trek film. <laughs> yeah he is and i just feel like he plays it really well and his character on third rock from the sun is very interesting and check that check that shit out it's good stuff it's on netflix it, is it on netflix yeah oh very good well i just wasted money buying the entire six six no, seasons by the way now you own it yeah i do so that's exciting so <laughs> um all right to close out the show today um I want to kind of go ahead to the next few months of films and just get just a quick yes or no if you guys are interested. Just give a yay or nay. You have to say anything about it, about films that are coming out. Because as I've discussed with Nick and some of you other guys and other people too, I feel like it's been a very slow year for films. Obviously, Chappie wasn't a favorite. I feel like there hasn't been a film I've seen that's come out this calendar year that's really been anything that great so far. I thought Focus was good, but that was that was about it. So, oh, you're talking about films that have already come out. Yeah. 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 So let's take a look at a few films that are coming out later this year and just give me quick response from everybody at the same time if you want. Or we do one at a time would probably be easier. At least, at least that way we can distinguish. Okay. So one at a time, starting with Nick every time. I'll, I'll just read the movie, just do a few of these and see what everybody thinks. So uh, in a few weeks, the second Divergent film called Insurgent, yes or no, going to be good? No. Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to see it, but I don't think it'll be good. All right, a definitive no for me. This looks like one of the worst films ever. Uh, the Will Ferrell Kevin Hart comedy Get Hard, which is coming out in a few weeks. Yes or no? Can I say maybe? It's one that I have not written off yet. So okay, I'm gonna say in the middle. Okay. I have no idea what the premise of that film is, but no. Okay. I say yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of both those guys. I say yeah. You're a big fan of Kevin Hart. Yeah, I love Kevin Hart. All right, he's then. the one that's keeping me away from it. <laughs> I think the guy's hilarious. Anyway, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. I don't I don't think it's gonna be any good. Um, Furious Seven, Vin Diesel, and the Ghost of Paul Walker. One hundred percent. Fuck yes. <laughs> I'm being completely serious. I cannot wait. Very good. Yes. Yes. All yes, right. Yes. Three yeses and one no. I think it's going to be regrettably. Tr- I, I think yes. it's going to be total shit, just like the sixth one was. It was not total shit. Um, a science fiction film that's I that a, a few of the people on this uh, panel definitely think is going to be one of the better science fiction films of the year. Ex Machina coming out in mid-April, starting with Nick. Absolutely yes. I'm going to put a maybe 
Okay. Because I am really, I'm really excited for the directorial debut of this guy. Um, he's a great scriptwriter. But Oscar... the trailer could have fucked it up for everybody, no. right? Oscar Isaac is a great actor. I think the trailer looks awesome, but the pre-release, uh, the few pre-release reviews that I've actually read have been kind of middling about it. So I'm okay. being very cautiously optimistic about it. No fucking clue. I okay. Said, sure, I'm gonna watch it, but I have no idea. Woo! I'm I'm gonna say maybe too. I'm I I hate to kind of go in the middle of the row, but I'm not sure what this is gonna be. So, um, the Age of Ultron from the Avengers coming out in May. What do we think, guys? No. Okay. I'm going to say yes. I'm also gonna say yes. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I'm gonna fold under pressure and say yes. I've been leaning towards no for a long time, but. I'm going to end up You've liking it. You've been bitching about it for yeah. the past, like, You've been every since bitching. the first trailer. Okay. Okay. I, uh, but I'm not going to explain myself. Whatever. Um, uh, we all know that Toussaint wants to see this. Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. <laughs> yes. Apparently, Kenny wants to see it, too. I really want to see it. I'm going to say no, because I'm, that trailer did absolutely nothing. I'm going, <laughs> what out, the I'm going out of turn. I'm just going to talk over all of you guys, because I'm so excited. What? Yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah, I am super excited for this. Uh, Alex actually gave me a framed poster of the movie as a uh, Christmas gift, so it better be good. Me and Tucson will see it. Nick, you can go fuck yourself. Yep. You're not invited. That's what I do best. You're not not invited. (laughs) You can't sit with us. I'm going to say, not 100%, but I'm going to say yes, too. The trailer looks too damn good. Even if the premise of this film is stupid, which it absolutely could be, yeah. it's way too good looking of a film to it, be it horrible. It could be worse to... than Chappie, and I'm going to like it. It looks that awesome. I feel like you can sit at the theater for two hours. It could be a horrible film, and you can go away thinking, man, that looked awesome. I'm going to have four popcorns, <laughs> four ices. Jesus, man. And I'm just going to sneak into the next showing of it and watch it again. Apparently, from how excited you were, you should bring a box of Kleenex, too, so you can <laughs> clean up yourself before you leave the theater. Jesus Christ. Get the box. Cut a hole in the box. Put your dick in the box. <laughs> Nothing but the best here on film. Yeah, seriously. We're high quality here all, all the way. First class. Uh, Tomorrowland just got its um, first full trailer released, and uh, what do we think about that film? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Uh, Brad Bird is a terrific director. I love Iron Giant. Um, The Incredibles is one of my favorite Pixar films, so yes, I'm looking forward to this. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Since the first time I saw a preview like a year ago, I've been excited about it. That was just like half a minute. Yeah, I'm... I'm very on the fence about this film because I, I, I'm a little concerned that it's not going to be good because it's the same thing. We talk about premises being taken from poor source material and this is taken from a a theme land at a Pirates of the Caribbean park. was a good movie. But what yeah. was one of the best films of last year? The Lego movie. I mean... Uh, not I'm according just, to the Academy of Motion Pictures and no, Sciences. But I, I'm, I'm right Arts and Sciences with part you, of it. Except I feel like lately I've been definitely not caring about premises and more about promotional material and such. And I certainly would love this film to be good. I mean, it has house in it, for God's sakes. I mean, come on, it's got to be something. And he's an asshole, apparently. So. Well, hey, 100% along with that. Um, and then two films really quickly. The Poltergeist remake, we all think that's going to be shit, right? Um, actually, I'm going to have to buck the trend on that because I watched the trailer and I actually talked to some of my, uh, horror film fans, like friends who like were on the fence of like it being a remake, Mm -hmm. but that last shot of the trailer with the little girl being dragged up the stairs by her feet, by the poltergeist that like, that got me excited. Well, <laughs> what? No, I mean, I mean, like it, it was, it was. Keep it in your pants, It was you saw. terrifying, and it was intriguing. Like I want to go see this film. 
I'm, I'm with Tucson. I, I'm intrigued God. by it. I, I want to see it. Not saying it's going to be good. I want it to be good. I'm looking for a, a good horror movie. Me too? Yeah. I say no because I, A, have not seen the trailer even, and B, I've never seen the original, and uh, C, I don't like horror films, so... Uh, horror films aren't my thing either and remakes of horror films also have a history of being just god awful so I'm going to say big old no the final film we'll end on is the uh, Jurassic World film coming out in early June take everything I said about Mad Max and multiply it by five I actually want to say yes and I'm not even a big fan of the Jurassic franchise but I'd rather see this get rebooted than see another Marvel film and see another you know just property we've already beaten down with a dead horse uh chris pratt is moving strength to strength he's going off the uh, momentum of leaving parks and rec and of course being in the starring role of guardians of the galaxy so i wish him all the success in the world and i'm definitely gonna go see this movie well i'm gonna see it but i'm gonna say a big old no uh, did not <laughs> did not like the trailer. Thought it was terrible. Gave away the entire film's plot and um, shitting on it since day one. Well, you know, any film that has the lady in the water in it just can't be good. So, using that, I think we'll springboard off of any more M Night Shyamalan references and bring it close to this amazing fourth episode of Film Tank. Um, if you want to send us an email and tell us how shitty this episode was, send us an email at filmtankshow at gmail dot com. Um, and if you want to find all our episodes and uh, future episodes, you can either go over to filmtankshow.com or you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, if you want to rate and review us on there, that'd be great. You can also connect with the show, send us an email at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is where you can find us. On next week's fifth episode of Film Tank, we'll be doing something a little different. We're not necessarily reviewing films. We will be comparing the 1987 Paul Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven, um, I, I won't say classic, but I'll feel like a lot of people have a love for it. The original RoboCop. Every single film Paul Verhoeven has created is a classic. Well, he did make Showgirls, so. And that is a classic. Oh, okay. <laughs> classic something. There's a reason uh, why we're still talking about it. Okay. <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> And in addition, we will be comparing that film to the 2014 remake, which yours truly loved, uh, 2014's RoboCop. So um, both of those films are on Netflix. So if you want to check them out before next week's episode, go for it. And we will be talking about them next week. And also um, go onto our website and vote in the Alien poll. And we'll see which film we'll be reviewing in the sixth episode coming up in a couple weeks. For Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and Kenny Marcellus, thank you guys for being here, and thank you very much for listening. I'm Alex Diekman. You've been listening to Film Tank.